Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schippel. And that is Steve Jones. And today on the podcast, we have a fun show, I think. So, you know what? Actually, I don't think we do. I know we have a fun show, Jens. I'm certain that we have a fun show. Yes. Uh, and I'll tell you tell you why. We have some cool bands on the show. I got to see some uh, some fun concerts that I'll uh, get into in, uh, in a little bit. But we also have an interview with Meat Beat Manifesto, who's going to be playing at the uh, Metronine in San Francisco on uh, June 8th. Did I say Metronine? I meant Mezzanine in San Francisco on June 8th. Um... Yeah, I just went with it. You just went with flow. Went Go with the it. flow. I figured, I figured you knew what you were talking about right then. You didn't doubt me. Yes, you I didn't doubt me at all. Ding, 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 you know. Yes. yes Metreon. That. Yeah, yeah, that. Not playing at the Metreon or the Metronine. He's playing at the Mezzanine uh, in San Francisco on uh, uh, on June 8th. So, so uh, check that out. You'll uh, get to hear from uh, from Jack Dangers uh, from Meet Beat Manifesto in just a few minutes. Before we get into that, Jens, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, a particular movie that you saw this week? Ooh, yeah. I did. I did. Uh, I did. I don't go to the movies very often. Um, I see maybe two or three movies a year. Is that all? Like that's how lame I am when it comes to going to the movies. And so, and sometimes two of those two or three are the same movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I should clarify that. Right. Yeah. So I think uh, it wasn't last year. The year before that, yeah, I think I saw the same movie three times, and that was... That was about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're like, maybe it'll be different the next time. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, one I'll see in 3D, and the other one I won't see in 3D, so that's kind of like two different movies. Pretty much. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, so yes, I did go see a movie, and I did go see it by myself. Because, Steve, you want to know something? You're that into the title of the movie that you're you're that committed. If you're going to go see a movie solo, you might as well go see Solo. Yeah, yeah. You see what I did there? I I do. That that was incredibly bold of you, sir. Wasn't that brilliant? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so I saw Solo. So I went in there... um, Waited, you waited in line for like four hours and found, found out that you were at the back of the line for, for that four hours, right? Like I was, I was at the back of the line for the four hours only to find out it was the wrong line. Right. And there actually was no line for solo. Okay. So let me, let me back up. So, so months and months and months and months ago, I decided, you know what, after episode eight, I'm going to have zero expectations for solo. I'm just going to go in there and, you know, yeah. if, if, if it's, if it's not mediocre, I'm going to yeah. love it. And I told myself nothing yeah. could be worse than episode eight anyway. So it's, it's going to be decent. You set that bar so low, didn't you? I went as low as I could go. Uh huh. It was so low. 
It was so low. Oh, so low. You didn't. Yeah, see, I noticed you didn't, didn't get that. See so. what you did the first time. <laughs> I took saw a, what you did the second uh-huh, time. Yeah, I took two times. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, but you had to kind of get the hint in there because it said so low differently, and then it clicked. Stretched out a little too long for you. I understand. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I kind of went over my head. I gotta, you know, I'm just taking you very seriously right now. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, that was my mentality going in. Um, bought, you know, bought the ticket way in advance. Yes. Um, decided to go see the last show of the evening. So that was, I think, the, like the third showing that night uh, before opening day. Okay. Um, which usually for movies like this are packed and you have to wait, you know, for a couple hours if they don't have reserved seats available. So um, I got off work and just hopped in the shower and then ran to the. No, I didn't actually run. I just you know drove slowly to the. You theater. did. You didn't. You didn't put on your <laughs> Apple Watch and, and take off. No, I didn't take off. Um, and that put me at the theater a little over an hour uh, before you know showtime, maybe an hour fifteen minutes. You didn't know what to expect. This could it could have been anything. You could have been in line with a bunch of Wookies and you know. And, I know. I know. I was actually thinking about. Up a little bit, at least putting a Star Wars shirt on. But I figured, nah, I don't know. I'm probably not going to run into anybody, run into anyone, you know, who's that dressed up at the theater I'm going to, or who shows up at all, or who shows up at all, right? <laughs> so talking about showing or not showing up, uh-huh. the parking lot, right? So when yeah. you go to a movie theater, often uh, during you know premiere events like this, yes, um, the parking lot's full and you can't find any parking and you got to wait for somebody to leave. Steve, I had the opposite problem with this. You did. <laughs> Sounds like I got the best parking spot in front of the theater. You had to wonder if the theater is even open. <laughs> right. I was starting to wonder, did I come on the wrong day? Is uh-huh. it next Thursday? Was it last Thursday? <laughs> like, yeah. I know it's a Thursday. Um, so it's like, I'm like, oh, no. Is this movie theater empty? Uh, there is another parking lot on the other side of the uh, theater, so maybe I'm just like, maybe they all got together. Maybe there was some sort of, you know, like meetup uh, that I didn't know about, like the solo meetup. Everybody meets up and they do like this um, flash mob thing in the parking lot. Right, the right. Mall. Yeah, that didn't happen. So here I am. I'm, I'm in the movie theater, and there's like one person in line buying a ticket. Oh. There's nobody at the concession stands. There's a security person. Uh, so I walked up, got my ticket. The guy was getting a ticket for a different film. Yeah, it would pro- probably pro- probably a Quiet Place or something along those lines. Something like that. Although the, the solo theater was a Quiet Place, wasn't it? It was so quiet, Steve. There was literally only one person in there. Right. Yeah, being me. So I walked into the movie theater. I'm so early um, that the, the, the previous showing of Solo is still playing. So I jumped into a theater nearby and just watched a bunch of previews for 45 minutes. <laughs> okay. And then I jumped back into the Solo movie. Okay, when I walked into the movie theater, there were two people there. Waited 45 minutes for the, uh, the movie to actually start, and um, I counted heads. There were about 15 people in the movie theater. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you could count that high. That's great. I could count that high. I had to look all the way around because uh-huh. I was sitting in the middle. It wasn't easy to do. Full circle. Full circle. Yep. Counting heads. Full circle. Yeah. And I'm like, are you like, uh-huh. what the fuck? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
so, um, but if we take all that away and just talk about the general feel of the movie itself, when it was over, yeah, it was like two thumbs up. It was. It was. Two thumbs up was, is what you're giving two it. Two thumbs up. You're I'm giving it two thumbs up. Okay. Two of them. Two thumbs up. You're... Yeah. And I, I think it all has to do with uh, expectations, right? Right. So for me, the movie didn't suck. So it wasn't horrible. So if this was standing right next to, say, A New Hope, uh, th- would those thumbs still be up? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You're impressed. What? Yeah, I was, in, I was impressed. Uh, without spoiling. Mean, yeah, without spoiling. You've got to have a totally different mentality in this because okay. it really is kind of a spinoff thing. Okay. You know, it's not like Rogue One um, because Rogue One was still all about the Empire uh-huh. and about um, the light side and the dark and, uh, uh, you know, stormtroopers and all that stuff. And Solo has nothing to do with any of it. Right. There's no force. There's just him and his backstory. Um, and it's fun, action packed, uh, but doesn't necessarily seem like a Star Wars story, I guess. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't have the same kind of theme. Do you see another prequel happening for, uh, for Han based off of this movie? Uh, well, there's talk about this being, uh, the beginning of a, of a trilogy uh-huh. for Han, um, for Han. I don't know if that's going to ha- happen based on the, you know, how it did in the box office. Maybe they're still assessing that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, right? Because, so it was actually rated well, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Not, not amazing, but it was, uh, 71, it's seven, at 71% right now shows it's made, um, like $85 million. Uh, but yeah, the review on Box Office Mojo says Solo isn't flying so high, delivering soft Memorial Day weekend debut, um, and it topped the Memorial Day holiday weekend box office, but it fell short of expectations, uh, raising a few valid questions. Was it too soon to release another Star Wars movie? Five months, 166 days. Uh, yeah, or just, I agree with just, that. I think yeah. that was. I think it was too early. They should, have, they should keep their December releases mm-hmm. uh, one year. And was the competition just too stiff from the likes of Deadpool two and Disney's own Avengers uh, Infinity War? So they uh, Disney's kind of competing against itself here uh, a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. that's true. Um, yeah. So yeah. so interesting. Um, yeah. If they made it a trilogy, I think it'd be a good one. Okay. But you think um, you do agree that they're oversaturating the market a little bit and kind of putting too much out there. Like you just have yeah. to wait for Star Wars movies thirty years or something, and then you know you get a new one. But. Exactly, people are used to only getting you know three to six shows per generation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, what about what about like the Marvel films? Uh, you know, specifically like the Avengers. They're coming out more than once a year, aren't they? Yeah, but, there are a lot of those. Yeah, I don't know. People eat that shit up, though. Like, it's... I yeah, they like that old comic book stuff. And I think that's going to hit its breaking point at some point, too. I just... I, mm-hmm. I think it will. I, I don't... 
follow a lot of that. I, I still haven't seen um, Infinity War. Probably one of the few who mm-hmm. hasn't. Um, I do want to see. I haven't Dead- seen it either, man. Yeah, I do. You know, I'm glad you did not join me mm-hmm. to see Solo. You're glad I didn't. Okay. Because you wanted me to go by myself, but uh-huh. we did not watch Infinity Wars together. So that's something that we didn't do together, which is good. Good. That's still like that's still like hanging out. That's you can share that. Not doing something. Not doing something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we also didn't see Deadpool two together, which uh, I do want to see that. Uh, you do? Cool. I, yeah, I've never seen it. I, I haven't seen the first one. Yeah, I like the I like the first one. Uh, I saw it like two or three times. So. Um, right. Yeah, so I, that's on my list to do. May, maybe next week if I can find time, we'll see. But, um, but yeah, that's uh, that would be cool. Um, okay, so two thumbs up for Solo. I mean, they didn't seem very high in the air from you, but uh, it sounded like you were pleasantly impressed despite the uh, lack of audience uh, inclusion in the theater you attended. Right. That was amusing. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was good. Um, Ron Howard, it was the best in terms of money. It was the highest grossing film that uh, he ever did. Um, and um, if I had written Solo's you know, background story, it would definitely have been different. So mm-hmm. it was just interesting to see, you know, kind of how they, they picturized it all. Yeah. Um, so... So speaking of Ron Howard, and I'm going to change the subject for a minute from Solo, but um, speaking of Ron Howard, uh, Arrested Development Season 5 came out uh, yesterday, actually, on Netflix. So it's split into two pieces. And actually, we've been watching Arrested Development together from the beginning because you never saw it before, right? I never saw it, no. Mm -hmm. And and so we've been watching a lot of the earlier uh, episodes from Season 1 when we get together, and just laughing profusely. And I'll tell you, I watched almost two episodes yesterday morning, like when I woke up and was like eh, excited, you know, I was like, Hey, season four was uh, not great. It was all, you know, over the place they did. They couldn't get the cast together. Uh, and so they shot each person's stuff individually and I, it didn't really work for me. Um, but I, I, I'm kind of a completionist. So I, uh, you know, I got through it. Right. But I was like, okay, it seems like they got the cast together for season five. So I'm like, I had higher hopes a little bit, uh, for it. And I watched almost two episodes and it's the, the, from the beginning, at least, uh, unwatchable. It's hard. It's painful. Uh, the narr the narration like talks over the characters. uh, It's hard to keep up. It's all over the place in a way that, you know, for a show that's all over the place, but really, really, tightly knit together it does it's not tightly knit together in uh, my opinion it's it's hard to follow uh and just like it seems like they at least for these first few episodes i think maybe they might get more cast together a little bit later but they don't have the whole cast together they have like a couple of characters together at a time uh like two at a time sort of thing so it's just really all over the place and i had to stop it before the end of the second episode Wow, that's pretty severe. I know. I was uh, not impressed. So I don't know. I don't know if I'll go back and I I probably feel like I will because I'll I'll probably have some time coming up. But um, go back and try to get through it. Uh, But I don't know. It's not doing doing it for me. So 
Sorry. Well, maybe like maybe next time you can't sleep or something, or you you have to waste your time. Like it's just yeah. you yeah. in an empty room, and you're yeah. locked in, it's, and, and it, you have a rest of development, nothing else. And it's not that much of a commitment because it's so they split the season up into two parts, each eight episodes, um, and so this so there's eight episodes on now, and so it's less than four hours total, you know, all in. Uh, so it won't be that much of a time commitment to get through it all, but it's just a disappointment kind of mm. that for something that, you know, I really respected and, and love, you know, the, the early stuff of, so I don't know. Yeah, that was painful. Yeah. Not great. That's, that's painful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's our oh. media, media update from, uh, stuff that we watched from ron howard so <laughs> and, and ron howard is in the like the first episode of the arrest development too his daughter uh is in it as well she's a character in it but um uh plays a weird version of herself and uh and mm-hmm. it's just all over i don't i couldn't even keep up it was just nuts so well i got a question for you so yeah. do they are they still driving around with that ladder car thing that it does make an appearance. Yes. It does. Yeah. But that's still not like their primary it's, mode of transportation. Uh I don't know. It it was in the it was in one of the episodes, but briefly. So yeah. Yeah, they have the they have the lottery card. I know, and that's another thing. Okay, so what? They still have that like fifteen years later? Like it plays on some of the earlier stuff, but not in a but in a way of like ha that's you know, that was funny fifteen years ago, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, as as opposed to where these characters really are now and you know, and what they've done, what's you know, more recent stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's kind of the feel it gives uh, gives off anyway. So right, um, hmm. yeah. Well, right. well, let's move forward. Let's get into some music, shall we, Enz? This is a music podcast, so yes, it is splendid idea. It is. So, like I said, we have Meat Beat Manifesto on the podcast today. Uh, I got a chance to chat with Jack Dangers for uh, a bit, and uh, it's cool. I mean, he's he's like your neighbor, Jens. I mean, he lives in uh, Mill Valley. Um, you know, coming he came over from the UK and uh, like twenty five years ago, and just never left. And wow. Um, yeah, and uh, so we're going to get to chat with him about uh, um, his life in music. So let's bring in uh, Jack Dangers. Splendid. Hey, Steve, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks for taking the time today. Oh, thanks for doing it. Yeah, are you in uh, San Francisco right now? Yeah. Excellent. And uh, and you've lived here, uh, you've lived in the Bay for like uh, 25 years now or so, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, uh, so let's start there. What what brought you from um, the UK to uh, to San Francisco? Um, well, the first time I came here was on tour in '89, and uh, we actually did a show uh, in San Francisco, and the support band was consolidated. So that was the first time I met them, and um, Michael Frandy was there as well, actually. So that's the first time I met Exposable Hero. And I later worked with them on a um, couple of albums. Um, and I, yeah, I'm spending more time here at that point, nearly 90s, than I was in uh, England. So, uh, you know, I just made the move. I didn't think it was going to be um, permanent, but I haven't moved back there yet. 
So, uh, so I'm waiting to see how things go. Here. Still testing <laughs> the field, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way the way things are going right now, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, my brother, I've still got my uh, British passport, so I'm not an American citizen. So, I, you know, I can, I can scarp her to Canada or uh, New Zealand or um, Australia if anything uh, goes pear-shaped. Just change your mind at any time. <laughs> uh, awesome. So, uh, so living in the Bay, and, and I'll let, let you know also, I'm um, from the Bay Area. I'm, uh, I'm, I live in Napa. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so what are, what are some of the venues that you like to either go see shows at or uh, to perform at? Um, well, um, my partner, Ben Stokes, he's got a, uh, space in the city and we're always putting on shows there. So that'd probably be, you know, my main, uh, haunt. Um, but I don't tend to go out and see everything every week. So it's, you know, it's, it's gotta be something pretty special to get me out there. Um, same thing for doing live shows, actually, you know, um, I've been doing so many of them over the last uh, seven years. Like the last big tour we did was in uh, 2011, and we did, you know, little sporadic shows here and there. Um, but we've got a bunch of shows coming up now, so um, I'm looking forward to them. The San Francisco shows at Mezzanine. And that's, uh, that's a venue I've seen uh, a bunch of bands at. So it'll probably be that one in the Bay Area. And the Fillmore, of course, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Fillmore's, the Fillmore's amazing. I was hoping you'd say the Fillmore because I just I have so much love for the Fillmore, you know, and so, oh, yeah. seen yeah. so many great shows there. I was at one last week, actually, and, you know, got to see one of my favorite artists perform there. And it's just got so much energy in, you know, in the walls there. And you can get lost looking at all the co- concert posters and everything. It's such an amazing. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. So I might be at, uh, in Mill Valley. So I live in Marin. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. So, you know, another reason I don't, uh, you know, even though it's really close, um, if, we're, if I lived in the city, I'd probably be, you know, going to those things more than I than I do. I'm just a studio wart. Right, right. So, uh, so tell me, you, men- you mentioned it's been, uh, you know, a couple of years since you guys have, uh, uh, you've done, since you've gone out and done some shows and, um, and really, you know, you, you put out the first album, you know, in a, a while, you know, also recently, which we'll talk about in just a bit, but tell me about that, uh, that break for you. Um, you know, what, what do you do? What kind of, um, you know, got you to the point where you're like, you know, I'm ready to come back out uh, and do some shows, record some music again. Uh, yeah, it's more boring life stuff, really. Um, we've been living in uh, our house, which we got in Mill Valley back in '94, uh, when you could like still buy houses at a reasonable price in the uh, Bay Area. Uh, we just uh, rebuilt it, so we had to sort of uh, I had to dismantle the studio and put it in storage for a uh, good three years. Um, and then um, the place where I was living, while well, the new studio was getting built, um, I was working there. And when I got back into the new place, I didn't really like the sound of everything, so I had to redo everything. And that took, uh, you know, another couple of years, and that's more or less up to where we are. Like, I finished it. I finished Impossible Star, like, early on... Um, 2017, 
it took a while for that to actually uh, surface. Um, but during that time, you know, I did do a lot of other uh, recordings. We're actually going to be bringing out another double album in September. So I'm sort of like catching up for the uh, time spent uh, just waiting, you know, to get back in the new place. Yeah, yeah, because this is kind of more your normal pace, right? Like, I mean, put out an you know an album every year, year and a half, two years, something like that, yeah. right? Yeah, and then go on tour for it. So, wasn't really any need to go on tour during that time, uh, up until you know more like this this year. So, um, yeah, that's more or less bring, brings it up to date. Plus, I bring out a twelve inch as well uh, in a couple of months. So. Um, and then I got another album actually coming out of uh, Terry Riley remixes. Uh, I did a bunch of remixes of In C. And it's an album length. It's like 40 minutes long. And that's coming out on, on the label in uh, in England. Oh, awesome. Well, so I, yeah, so this year, you know, I'm doing three albums. Yeah, so um, you're, keep, you're keeping busy now. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So I'm sort of making up for, for time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go. Let's go back a ways. I want to. I want. I'm curious. What got you really into music? When did you know you wanted to uh, be a musician? And tell me about kind of the the influence in your home. You know, growing up uh, uh, in terms of music. You know, was it your parents or uh, what was it for you that that kind of gave you that passion? Uh, yeah. Like my family weren't uh, into music at all. Really. My brother had some. Uh, some, uh, some records, probably he was the biggest influence, but it's a very, uh, he was like 16 years older than me. So, um, you know, there was a big gap. So I more or less grew up on my own. Um, no one in the family to this day, you know, plays an instrument. So, um, yeah, I just sort of, uh, it was in 1981 that I sort of, well, I got into music in 79, but I would never have dreamt of, like, picking up an instrument or thinking I could make a, you know, a career out of it. Um, till 81, when I left school, and I went, I didn't go to college or anything, I went straight into uh, working uh, different jobs to pay off loans on um, uh, some equipment. So, um uh, that took a few years to pay off, and I was yeah, I was just working in uh, I was working in the heavy industry in England um, on the rail railroads for a few years, and um, yes, yeah, probably you know my biggest influence uh, early on in those days was discovering Kraftwerk and listening to John Peel on um, BBC Radio. He, he was this DJ who uh, had a 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock slot at night and would have uh, live sessions. And he would basically play, you know, uh, a bit of everything, really. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's very influential. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not familiar. But he, but you listen to him and, you're, and you kind of, you're like, that's something I want to do, right? Yeah, but I was definitely into the electronic stuff, so I would filter out all the other things um, and just zero in on electronic stuff. That was the first time I heard Frobbing Gristle and the Cabaret Voltaire and bands like that. It was through him, Tom Peel. 
And that was the sort of music which influenced me, probably because I was working in heavy industry at the time, in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know, doing it for real, working in a place like that, rather than um, people like I used to the Neubarton and Test Department who used it as imagery, but were actually all art students. So I was going, I was going from a different angle altogether. And that's probably uh, made me more committed to that type of music because I was like, um, you know, coming from, well, I was coming from it. Even Cameron Old Ten from Gristle, they're all like art students. And there wasn't a lot of people actually, you know, in actually actual heavy industry making, uh, making music like that. Yeah. Which you could call industrial, you know. So. Yeah, that's my early early uh, influences. And and so um, so you got together with uh, with Johnny Stevens, and your first LP was uh, "Storm the Studio." Tell me tell me about that process for you of creating that that album, um, and kind of where you were at at that point in in time. Where, like where like tell me about your confidence and kind of how uh, how you approach that that album. Uh, well, the first album I did was with uh, another band. Donnie was in that band as well. That's called Cranial Divide. And that, um, uh, I was still working at British Rail at that point. And um, I sent a demo tape off to a label called Sweatbox in London. And they really liked it and wanted to put it out. And, um, you know, because I was working with a label, I had this other project I wanted to do, which would be me being manifesto. And that more or less sort of took over. I didn't have time for the other band, but Johnny came with me for a couple of albums uh, until I moved over here. And then, you know, the distance sort of uh, stopped that um, collaboration. But I was always uh, the main writer. I wrote all the music and uh, and the lyrics and the concept and everything. So it was, a, it was an easy move for me to just fall into a new way of working and working with other people as well over here. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've, um, you've always written, you know, kind of yourself and, and also kind of, you know, for a long time, uh, rec- uh, the recording you've done, uh, your, yourself as well. Right. So, I mean, tell me about, yeah. tell me about that process, uh, for you and kind of, is it, is it from a, a need to just like you, you have the music in your head and you want to be, you just kind of get it out there, um, you know, in in the way that you know uh, to do it, or kind of where where does that come from for you? Uh, usually, it's like being inspired by something which I might hear, and I'll try and do my you know, not a version of it, but you know, I'm inspired to do something like it, and then it turns out to be utterly completely unlike <laughs> the thing I sort of uh, might have been inspired by to begin with, and it turns into its own thing at that point. And um, no, there's usually a sort of uh, there's usually a point of feeling which you get. I think Border Canada are really good at, at doing that, at, uh, at uh, making their, at making their tunes work and their harmonies work against other things. And usually, when I'm working in it, and I get into that that way of of um, feeling, that's when uh, it seems to work and. Um, Yes, things just come out of it from there, really. But yeah, it's, you know, it's being inspired by things. Everyone has been inspired by something, and 
that's why it's so difficult to come out with a type of music which has never been heard before. There's always, there's always a, a map, um, a key map, which you can go back to where something might have started. And then, you know, along the line, morphed into something else. Yeah. That makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so when you're when you're making the songs, also, I mean, uh, from what I understand, like they don't for you, they don't start with vocals or anything. Like you don't uh, start with the words; you start with um, uh, the music behind it. And some songs, you know, um, you add, you know, uh, lyrics after the uh, the fact. Uh, is that right? Yeah, there's a couple of songs where it started with the lyrics first, like Soul Driver. I started with those lyrics first and built the music around that. But it's usually it's usually with a beat. Although um, you know, I could be working on a track for a couple of weeks, and then at the end, I'll take you know all the rhythm stuff out, and it's a you know a more like an ambient um, soundscape. But um, yeah, yeah, it's usually uh, it's like painting. It's like doing a sculpture, you're just whittling away until it sounds right. It's like it's like making sculptures in air. And Frank Zappa famously once said, it's like you nothing you know, nothing exists until you start grabbing things and then putting them together. Yeah, and so there's a couple of songs I want to kind of talk to you about. You've you've said that uh, falling upright is uh, one of the the best things that you've ever done. Tell tell me about that yeah. and how it came about for you. Uh, yeah, that was probably because I just did it. Now yeah. I've got all these other really good songs. I think are the best things I've ever done since then. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I do like that track. Um, the actual uh, vocal sample. It's from this uh, 1964 uh, radiophonic workshop play, which uh, BBC broadcast again a couple of years back, which Divya Derbyshire did the music for. Um, that was the start of that song. Like sometimes, you know, things I write do start with a vocal sample, you know, like a spoken word thing or something like that, rather than uh, uh, me saying a lyric or singing or something. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I used the, uh, I nabbed the, the uh, Lowry organ rhythm machine break, which uh, Timmy Comet used. Um, uh, I think Dempsey 900 Beats sampled that in the past as well. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool rhythm machine sound coming out of the, uh, out of the speaker. Um, yeah, I just added things to it but I like the other parts as well like the part two and part three they all are completely different so as a whole I was pretty happy with the whole thing but it's only appeared you know on this DD which we initially sold live but you can get it online now it's not it was never on an album or anything like that um, that's because of all these other tracks which I've done since then which I think are possibly better than that so, you know, I'm usually like that. The last thing I worked on is, you know, probably my favorite thing to the next thing. Yeah, it's it's good to like what you're, what you're doing, right? So. Yeah, exactly, you know. And then, you know, yeah, I got that one under my belt. Let's uh, move on. And like, oh, yeah, this one's even better. I just did a bunch of uh, jungle and stuff, which sounds really good to me. So yeah, yeah, hey. <laughs> we'll wait and see. We're bringing jungle, jungle back. 
Hey, that's awesome. Um, and uh, and Prime Audio Soup was used in the, the Matrix. Tell me about how that came about. Uh, yeah, that was um, one of those things where the music supervisor, you know, gets in touch with the, the record label. It had nothing to do with me. Someone heard the track, liked it. Um, they were actually using, they were using six songs from actual sounds and voices during the making of that movie. It was the only music they would play in the background while they were filming the yeah. scenes. And um, the politics, you know, sort of uh, edged out the other five songs, which they, you know, they, like edited to and directed to. Um, so Prime Audio Soup was the only one that was left in there, and, you know, all these other different bands were injected in there, which didn't have anything to do with the music, or they weren't using the music when they were making the film, but it's just to sell the, uh, the soundtrack. So it's just, it's one of, you know, it's just the politics of, of that, that scene, which I don't have anything to do with. So it was, uh, like a draw, really, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But there's anyone in there. If you, if you like watch, you know, if you watch the film, you can see that it's, the music goes to what they're editing and what's happening in the film. And there's any piece of music in there, except for the scored, orchestrated stuff, which comes across like that. Right. And um, and so uh, you, I mean, for the longest time, you, I mean, you, you worked in the, the same studio for 20 years, and I think that's kind of where part of this break uh, came as well, yeah. right? And uh, and so you've kind of rebuilt uh, your, your studio to be. I mean, from what I understand, like the same as your uh, your last studio that you were really comfortable in. Right? Oh yeah, it's exactly the same. It's, it's funny. Everyone who comes in here like start laughing. <laughs> Everything, everything's in the same place. The light bulbs and pictures on the wall and the equipment. And um, yeah, I was striving many years to get to that position of being really comfortable. It's weird music. If you were a painter or a sculptor, you could probably find a good place to do that in. With music, you've got to have the right speakers, you've got to have the right room. It's got to sound good everywhere you take it out of the studio. And I had that. It took took a good uh, 10 years to get to that point. So it was, uh, you know, I didn't want to give up. So uh, my wife was pulling me out of the studio by my neck tendons to uh, separate me from the uh, the old studio and get into a new place and get the new one built. But I made sure that it was going to sound exactly the same. And that's the problem I had where we were living when the house was getting built. See, it's all this boring, normal stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, where, you know, where I was recording there, wasn't happy with the sound there. And then when I got it back here, it was just like, oh, no, that's not working. So I had to redo everything, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you find that you're kind of that person in, in life as well that like, you know, you find, you get something just the right way that you wanted and, or whether it's even like a restaurant, right? Like you're like, okay, I'm yeah. going to this restaurant yeah. and I'm, I'm going to get the same thing on the menu every time because, uh, yeah, I'm kind of that same well, way. I to, yeah. yeah. I have to do that anyway, cause I'm a vegetarian. So it's, uh, there's only a certain, uh, yeah. <laughs> certain handful of restaurants uh, I ever go to. But, yeah, I'm like that with everything. I'm completely OCD when it comes to that, you know, the way I work and the amount of time it takes to, you know, do certain things. And, uh, yeah, it's weird. 
it works. I, I get it. I'm, I'm kind of the same way, right? I, I, with a lot of things, it's like, oh, I got something that works. I'm good with it. I don't need to change anything else. A simple kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. It's not broken. Don't know? fix it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, no. So, you know, yeah, I'm, the, I'm exactly the same. So, yeah. To so, an OCD level, though, which, you know, probably isn't healthy, but yeah. it produces it's, the results it's I got, want. It's gotten you this far, right? So... Yeah, that's why, you know, so when you do live shows, that sort of thing goes out the window. You know, you can't, you know, you're on different um, uh, venues, different space, places, stage, different uh, audience capacity. It only sounds different from place to place, and you just lose that. that I don't think anyone who plays live has, you know, got that comfort level. Yeah. And- Even if you were just, uh, you know... Uh, Singer, solo singer, with an acoustic guitar, and that, but it would always change from wherever you you know play to the next place. Yeah. So that comfort level goes out the window. Yeah, and and on your live shows, so right now um, it's it's you performing, and you have uh, Benjamin Stokes on. Uh, he does all the visuals for your shows, right? Actually, no, I do all the visuals. You do, okay. But, um, yeah, Ben gets uh, usually gets that credit because he's. He does that for a living for other bands, like DJ Shadow, and he's just doing stuff for uh, Latif and uh, Black Alicious. So he does that for a living. That's why he, you know, I haven't got the money to pay him yeah. <laughs> to do all that stuff. It's expensive. So I do it all myself. Um, uh, so, yeah, no, yeah, I do the videos, the videos on YouTube as well. and uh, use a lot of live sampling. Um, so that's his uh, input when we play live, is, um, uh, you know, making sure all the visuals are running right. He's Mr., you know, high-tech visual guy, where I'm sort of, you know, still muso guy trying to grapple with uh, different formats and uh, different rendering formats. It's, like, it's such a completely different world. And making music, yeah, it's uh, there's no comparison whatsoever. It really, is completely different. You gotta like take your music head off, put your visual head on. I was doing it today, actually, um, taking one head off, putting the other one on, and having to work out what rendering things is going to go out at. And you don't have to do that with music. You know, music is really instant, uh, more instant than doing visuals anyway. The whole rendering thing, uh, just yeah. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of fast work, and then sitting around for three hours waiting for it to render. Right. Yeah. It takes forever. Yeah. It's not a yeah, not a so quick process. <laughs> no comparison, really. There's no uh, instant gratification doing visuals, and then even when you play them, when you got everything ready, you got everything set up, and you're doing a live show, you, you can't see it. It's behind you. Yeah. You got a little preview monitor you can look at and stuff, but you're not getting that full show like the audience is. There's always this sort of um, um, depression. Yeah, there's always this sort of, uh, wow, I hope that went well. I wonder what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. I guess you hear if it if it didn't, right? <laughs> yeah, after spending you know so much time on it, you don't actually get to see the finished thing. Where with music, you do. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
So uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about your relationship with uh, Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails, and I mean, it seems like it's been uh, kind of a mutual thing for both of you. Like you've inspired Trent a, a lot, and he's obviously—I mean, I think he's had an impact on you as well, right? Yeah, yeah. We um, first met in '89 uh, at the uh, 930 Club in DC, when they were supporting us. Nine Inch Nails was supporting me, and. Um, like, well, we know, six, seven months later, we came back and we were supporting them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like turned around that, that quick for, for them. So uh, that was a good tour to be on, watching all that explode. It was crazy in 1990. And uh, then, you know, we kept in touch and then tapped his label. He got me to do uh, some remixes during that time as well. And then we, uh, you know, put the records out on nothing. Um, but I haven't really seen or heard much of him for, you know, since the late rankers, to be honest with you. Yeah. One of those things. Oh, yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's probably too busy to come and see our shows when we play in L.A., but uh, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, so as we uh, wind out here, tell me a little bit about... Uh, how your your process has changed over over the years leading up to your I mean your most I know you have like three albums that you're you know working on right now but uh, but the current one that just came out is Impossible Star so tell me about you know your process and how it's changed and where you see yourself now uh, in your career. Um, I, well, I had more time than any of the album I've worked on. That was the biggest change. Um. Just that amount of time, you know, where you're not, you don't have this record label on your back, you know, with a deadline. As I say to uh, the record labels, I love the sound of of uh, a deadline rushing by. Right. I, I just don't, yeah, you know. And then you got to do the tour, and so it's good to get out of that loop after um, good twenty years, and just have more time to spend on stuff. Um, and you know, although you know, I, like I like just said, there's three albums coming out, so um, not like I wasn't uh, working all the time. But that that's the biggest luxury. That's the biggest change of these albums was that I had more time than uh, all the previous ones. So uh, I was able to pick and choose. And there's even there's a bunch of tracks which didn't make it on any of these, which um, I'm not sure if I'll use or not. I'm more in, in, in the mode of doing a new thing, you know, yeah. after after these uh, shows and get working on uh, another three albums or something. I don't know. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> Not slowing down. No, no, that's, which is good. You know, that's, uh, I think that's a rare thing. If you're doing... Uh, you've got to find new things to inspire you technically if you're doing electronic music. And at the moment, I'm sort of uh, being inspired to go back into the 90s and uh, use my old um, scuzzy samplers and stuff rather than being trapped in a uh, computer using um, software samplers, which don't sound as good either, by yeah. the way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, sometimes you've got to go in, in, back into the past to uh, see the future. Very well said. Awesome. Well, 
Well, Jack, thanks for taking the time. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Meet Beat Manifesto will be at the Mezzanine on uh, June 8th in uh, San Francisco. So hope uh, hope it, you have a great show then and your other shows uh, that, that you got lined up after that as well. And good luck with the double album and everything uh, else that's coming out uh, down the road also. Thanks, Steve. Hey, you have a great rest of your day, okay? And you have a good uh, holiday weekend. Oh, I, I sure will. got some fun plans. So hopefully you have a good weekend too. <laughs> That was the interview with Meat Beat Manifesto here on Concert Pipeline. Um, and so, Jens, I want to tell you about a little, little bit, a couple of concerts that uh, I went to this past weekend, this past Memorial Day weekend. Right, we had Bottle Rock in your backyard. I did, and I did not Bottle Rock this year. Um, I skipped out on the festival, but uh, you know, heard a. Uh, a, a lot of great performances uh, that were there. Um, my girlfriend Tracy, she went to Bottle Rock all three days, and so sent me pictures and videos, and she got up close for a bunch of shows and uh, and had a great time. And um, we, I went to two after shows um, instead of going to the actual Bottle Rock Festival. Two after shows with bands that I liked, um, and uh, the first being with uh, Bleachers, and. Um, and I'll talk about that, uh, in a, a little bit later on in the, in the podcast that was on, uh, Friday night and Saturday was, uh, was magic giant. And, um, and so the Saturday was kind of a special show because it was kind of a dual birthday celebration. Um, and, uh, for me and my daughter, Fern, uh, who has, a, you know, it was my birthday on Saturday and, um, and then, Fern's birthday is in the week and a half, right? So she had chosen over having a little party get together with a couple of friends, having a father-daughter day uh, one day, and then having a mother-daughter day another day. And so for the father-daughter day, you know, I just spent the day with her. I took her to a um, a kids' fest in Concord, and um you know she got to jump in some bouncy houses and have some dipping dots and you know stuff like that right fun and then um and then at night this i took her to her first late night concert yens sweet i want to hear all about this i yeah well i will tell you all about this (laughs) and so you know part of me knew it was a recipe for disaster right i mean like this is uh it was late. It was a late show. Like it was, it started at ten, um, oh, wow. and okay. her, her bedtime's eight. So <laughs> uh, you do the math as to where this is going. Uh, but <laughs> uh, so I, I made sure we bo- we got a nap uh, in the afternoon, myself included. <laughs> uh, and everybody is going to need all the energy that they can get. Yeah, I, I put on my son's sound machine. I tell you, and I I was zonked. <clears throat> I slept longer than her. Uh, and, uh, did she just end up waking you up? She ended up actually taking streamers that my mom and sister had put around my house to, to decorate my house. Like when I wasn't there and, uh, uh, she ended up taking those and putting them all around my room, like while I was sleeping and stuff, <laughs> and, like through this, through the stairwell, you know, oh, that's creative. and all of that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, she was having some fun. Uh, but then, and, and so leading up to the concert, she was good at the concert, be, while we're waiting, you know, there's some waiting around and everything. You have to wait around in line, and we had to meet up with uh, uh, some folks uh, because I was I got one ticket from um, a, a big super fan of Magic Giant who I uh, know, and you you had met as well actually at 
um, uh, live in the vineyard. And, um, and also the other ticket I got from uh, the band. And, um, and so, uh, I had to get there early before doors open to be able to get, get my ticket from the, the fan. And, um, and so we did that for, you know, and Fern just spun around the, like a pole, like 200 times, you know, just entertaining herself, spinning in circles around this pole, you know, uh, for a while. So she had a lot of energy up front. We get in, you know, there's a little bit of waiting around. Uh, so we sat down, um, about six feet from the stage off to the side and, uh, got, I got a beer, gave it to her and uh got myself you, a gave, le- the, you gave the beer to her yeah i got myself a lemonade <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. i love a picture of that yeah yeah <laughs> and, uh maybe the other way around <laughs> and, well at some point you've got to start developing her um uh you know tolerance for alcohol so when she goes to you know, high school and college and all those fun places, she can drink the boys under the table. Oh yeah, so that'll uh, that'll definitely happen. And um, actually, um, since uh, you mention it, I will. She she did have a, she did have a song of her own to to sing, and uh, and here it is. Ready? You listening? Nice. <laughs> so, All right, rock star in progress. Yeah, so so I'm starting her off well, right? So, <laughs> so definitely. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. That would, actually that wasn't planned, but <laughs> uh, but unexpected yeah. cameo from Fern. Yes. Uh, so so uh, so we we were waiting. We you know, and the fans at the, the show were nice to her because you know uh, she was young, obviously, and they talked. You know, they they came up to her and talked to her, and one gave her a, a bracelet, like we had made a bunch of bracelets that said Magic Misfits, which are the Magic Giants fans, uh, and gave her one. And another was talking to her and joking with her a lot, and wanted to put her up on her shoulders uh, during you know Fern's favorite song. You know uh, that didn't happen, but um, <laughs> but it was it was a nice offer anyway and so then the first band comes on you know and uh and they're loud and i i, I like a responsible parent did not bring uh any earplugs for my child earplugs oh no and i had lost i had lost mine also recently but had been given some that same like early morning uh, from tracy my but uh knowing that i had lost mine you know but i'd forgotten them so but a fan brought came over and brought her a set of earplugs you know she no was, way. yeah but and so she put them in but then she she couldn't get them to fit right and she wouldn't let me and so i put them in my ears so uh <sighs> i'm like well if you're not going to use them I'll, I'll take them but um yeah so she was done halfway through the first band she was just like that was when crash mode kind of started she's like can we leave one song into magic giant and um, right. you know and i'm like no no we can't <laughs> i'm like no no we can't so <laughs> yeah like, you, you knew this was gonna be late right and uh and so i was like 
you can lay down on my on my lap and you know and you know and, and sleep because she was just so tired and I was like and so she did she lay down while the, the concert's going on and and slept on my lap and then you know there's the changeover between bands and and I started dozing and my glasses you know like fell off on fur a couple <laughs> times like in the middle of the changeover and uh then finally Magic Giant comes on at just after 11:30 and at night <laughs> 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 so late man and uh i don't know whose idea this was but uh and, and so, oh man i wish i had a photo of this yeah like father daughter crash out yeah i know it would have been great but <laughs> still gets the best dad ever award yeah so so the magic giant comes on fern wakes up uh and i put her on my shoulders for like half an hour uh they're set and then by by 12 she was done and she's like i'm ready to go and i'm like you sure because you know you haven't heard window which was her favorite song of theirs and Mm -hmm. uh they got like i think six songs left i was trying to read the set list and everything right but uh uh she's like yeah yeah we gotta go we gotta go you know (laughs) So she was she was out and then she zonked and slept until like just after nine a.m. which I've no, I don't wow. think I've seen her do so yeah wow so so that was well, a fun after show of Butterock totally fun I hope she had a good time I mean um, you know it makes sense that you know she would either just zonk or you know throw a tantrum or something yeah um, uh, yeah, because she's exhausted or something. But I, I hope uh, she looks back on that and thinks, oh, yeah. I, I don't think either of us have any regret about it, but I don't think it's going to happen again anytime soon. Uh, so I think there will be second thoughts before that sort of thing happens again, especially a late-night concert. I mean, I yeah. know, that was probably not yeah. a, a great idea. It wasn't even a normal normal one. I mean, it man didn't come on until 1130. Like, you know my timeline, and... I don't make it that long usually. Yeah, right? so, we're usually way out of venues, you know, yeah. by by that time. It was made slightly better by the fact that it was five minutes from home. Uh, so, mm-hmm. and I was able to park in the parking lot there and not, you know, just get out. So, yeah, so it was pretty good. But we're gonna we're gonna play a song from uh, Magic Giant's set at um, uh, at Silos, and uh, this is a song called "Let's Start Again." Let's check it out. Things got a little bit rough 
so that was let's start again by Magic Giant, and um, and like I said, there were two two late night shows. So I had two late nights in a row of of concerts where I was up way past my bedtime. I'll tell you, uh, and. Uh, uh, and the other, but, you know, which is officially past nine o'clock. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and the other was bleachers and, and they, uh, and there was a band that opened that for them called Welshly arms. And, and I'll tell you, Jens, I mean, I listened to them a little bit before, uh, going to the concert, you know, for the, the days leading up to the concert. And I was starting to dig on them a, a little bit. I'd heard good things, uh, about their, uh, their performance. And, uh, and I'll tell you, they were a solid opener. They were really strong, um, and uh, and a lot of fun to like really put it out on the table uh, for a live performance. So um, for a band I'd never seen live, I was uh, uh, I was digging it. It was uh, a really good op- uh, opening act for uh, a band that I was you know really excited to see. Right on. Yeah. So um, so. We're gonna play a song by uh, Welshly Arms, and later in the program we'll we'll, um, we'll play um, a song from Bleachers from from that show, uh, set as well. Uh, but right now, let's play uh, "Indestructible" by uh, Welshly Arms. Here it is. <laughs>
was Welshly Arms Indestructible here on Concert Pipeline. Jens, it's time for your favorite segment of the podcast. What is it? Yes, the time has come. Uh, music news. That is right. Uh, so we have some uh, some fun stories. Uh, I particularly look forward to one that you're going to do shortly, but uh, but I'm uh, going to go ahead and start it out with uh, a two-parter story. How do you feel about that? Sounds fantastic. I am going to be so in suspense once part one is done, and I'm just waiting for part two. Uh, that's the way to do it. So this is about uh, this is about the one, the only Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. All right. Yeah. Is he still around? I, I would have to say probably not. <laughs> too soon, Jens. Too soon. His spirit lives on, man. Yes. What's yes. going on with Michael? So uh, his estate is suing Disney over the un- unauthorized ABC special. Um, he, uh, they filed copyright infringement lawsuit against Walt Disney. We talked about this like last week on the podcast, but so it's interesting that it's interesting that it can get this far and. Uh, and no one, you know, puts a, a stink until like right before it's airing. Uh, but right. they, they filed a copyright infringement lawsuit against Walt Disney and ABC TV, alleging the companies used dozens of copyrights without permission when they aired, uh, the last days of Michael Jackson last week. Uh, they claimed the two hour unauthorized special, which alleged that Jackson planned his comeback tour uh, to get out of debt and that he regularly took surgery ready levels of uh, profitol, uh, uh, propofol. Um, uh, they used Billy Jean, Beat It, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, and several other songs without permission. Also said that the show used substantial portions of his music videos, footage uh, that the estate owned of the singer's live performances from the Jackson's uh, Triumph Tour uh, and uh, other gigs, a, a clip from Spike Lee-directed doc, and footage from the film Michael Jackson's This Is It. Um, they're saying they committed intentional copyright infringement. Um, and... Uh, let's see here. Disney's conduct here was particularly surprising given it has no tolerance for anyone using its copyrighted material in even the most trivial of manners. So, um, went on from there, but, uh, rep for ABC did not immediately reply to request for comment on the lawsuit. Uh, they defended this special last week, however, claiming the documentary explores the life, career, and legacy of Michael Jackson, who remains of great interest to people worldwide. The program does not infringe on his estate's rights. And I th- think when we reported last week, like, Janet Jackson was in the documentary as well, right? Like, mm. talk, talk about her, so. Yeah, I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I wonder if they're just mistaken or if Disney is just like, whatever, we're going to infringe on a bunch of stuff. We don't care. We're, we're just going to make this. I don't know, but it was the most watched program in the Thursday night time slot, attracting 5.6 million viewers. Um, so, uh, wow. and it contained never before seen interviews that Barbara Walters and Diane Sawyer conducted with Jackson. Um, mm. yeah. So, uh, so who knows, who knows what will happen there if, uh, there's going to be any money in it for the, the Jackson estate, but oh. I just, you know, you think those things would, kind of be handled ahead of time right yeah you would think there would definitely been you know one legal team 
talks to another legal team, they get everything sorted, and then, you know, yeah, they go on to writing it or filming it or whatever, putting it together. Yeah, so, uh, so, so, that's, so that's part one, Jens. Remember That's part one. Yeah, okay, so I'm hanging on a cliff. You're, you're, get, like you're getting kind of antsy there. You're getting kind of antsy. I was, but I was uh, like, I'm waiting for you to finish the story. I, 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 need, the, I just want to jump to the last chapter. What happens? The other part of uh, is a as a different Michael Jackson story of his gravity defying lean. Have you uh, heard this story? His gravity defying lean. Yeah, the one where he's uh, standing in the like in the smooth criminal video. Uh, yeah, and it's like, why is he not falling down? And he's, and he's like at forty-five degrees, right? Uh, right. And uh, it's uh, if you haven't seen that in a while, it's every bit as magical as you'd remember it. Uh, he was always something of an illusionist, uh, particularly when it came to his signature dance moves. Uh, so three neurosurgeons and uh, admitted J- Jackson fans from the uh, Postgraduate Institute of Med- Medical Education and Research uh, in India. Um, I'm not going to try their names. Um, They've revisited how he achieved the 45-degree lean while keeping his spine straight, not just on video, but in live performances around the world. Um, So so several MJ fans, including the authors, have tried to copy that move and failed, often injuring themselves in their endeavors. Um, Trained dancers can lean forward a maximum of 25 to 30 degrees, but even then it can put serious strain on the Achilles tendon ends, okay? Yeah, right. Uh, and so I guess it's not a secret that the card up his sleeve was a, a special shoe patented yeah. under his name back in 93. Um, and like I'm like, he's, he's either got lead in his shoes or it's like some magnet floor thing. So it's so that part isn't news, but the neurosurgeons elaborated that the mind-boggling feat could only occur with incredible core strength from the spinal and lower limb muscles, uh, and so there's there's you know it, it's weird, but there I mean there's diagrams and everything if you want to uh, check this article out. There's an article on uh, NPR uh, about it, but um, but it. Uh, it says, okay, so there's his 45 degrees. There's his shoe, a hitch member, and a base, I guess, uh, on the ground. It's, uh, like, it, like he's like his shoe clicks into like this uh, wooden plank with a nail sticking out of it that kind of locks in with the shoe. In, in uh, you know, and it, it stays in this base. I, I think is quick what, lock, quick release. Yeah, what they're saying. So, thing. I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. So. That is interesting. I've never really wondered that. But now that you bring it to, you know, our attention, it's like, oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Kind One of, of many things I used to wonder about and forgot to, you know. Ever look into. <laughs> yeah, look into. Yes. All right. All right. Good, good, good. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. Okay. What, what you got for us, Jens? I got something. I okay. got something good. So, um, we are going to honor, not you and I, but there's a band that's going to be honored on the 4th of July. Okay. Honor Independence Day. Who are we honoring? We are honoring the Beach Boys. Ah, okay. Yes. So, how how are we going to honor the Beach Boys? We're going to, we're going to honor them. We're going to honor them bravely. 
Um, so <laughs> they will not only be performing at this year's Capital Fourth concert in Washington, D.C., um, they will also be honored uh, with the National Artistic Achievement Award. Uh-huh. National Achievement Award, huh? Yeah, National Artistic Achievement Award. Ah. This isn't any old achievement award. This is the National Artistic Achievement Award. Um, so there's going to be a special Independence Day concert, and uh, it'll be broadcast live on PBS uh, from the West Lawn of the U.S. Capitol Building, beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern, which will be hosted by occasional beach boy and friend to the group, actor John Stamos. Stamos! Stamos! John Stamos. You know who he is, right? No. Oh, Jens. Oh, Jens, Jens, Jens. I probably do, although uh-huh. not by name. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's Jesse from Full House. Tell me that. It's like Full House. I've never, I've never seen Full House. I don't think <laughs> You've never seen Full House? Oh, I don't think so. No. Wow. Okay, let me look this guy up, because I'm sure I know I have a visual... I will recognize him. Uh-huh. Okay, you, while you look that up, we'll play some some Beach Boys here. Okay. Yeah, he looks familiar. He looks familiar. <laughs> okay. I can't tell you anything about him. Wow, okay. He just looks familiar. Okay, um, sorry, John. Uh-huh. All right, so uh, Mike Love shared his excitement about the honor. He says, this is an extraordinary recognition for our band. We are grateful to everyone involved with a capital fourth for this beautiful honor. Um, So the Beach Boys have been synonymous with 4th of July and performing on the West Lawn for decades now. Um, It is an enormous source of pride. All right. And uh, so Beach Boys, are they going to be around here anytime soon? Well, I've got their entire concert list here. You do? Uh, How convenient. Funny you should ask. Let's see. Are they coming to California? Are they coming to California? Why don't they put this? Why don't people tour in alphabetical order? Tour cities alphabetically? That would be amazing. Yeah. They are coming to my backyard. They are. So I'm going to be able to listen to them from my, my porch in the back. You will. Or, or, or I could just walk a couple blocks down the street and go to the Marin County Fair, which is where they're going to be July 1st. Right. Oh, yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. Last week on the, yeah. on the pod. So we've got some Beach Boys coming up, huh? Yeah. That's going to be sweet. Excellent. Yeah, I've, I've decided this year to make a much greater effort to actually go to those shows. Yeah. Um, it happens every year. There's always a good group of bands that come by. Yeah. I... Uh, uh, we'll see. We should we should get to one maybe if we can. So yeah, It'll be fun. Um, I'm gonna skip one of my stories, so I'm gonna cut cut down a, a story. It, it's kind of not a, not very interesting that Weezer covered Toto Toto's uh, Africa. Um, they did. Oh, I'm gonna have to listen to that. Yeah. So I guess that was. I, have to listen to that I mean, it, it was that uh, I think a 14 year old like started a you know a, a pledge to get him to do it or something and so they they finally they finally did it 
Um, they played a different song by Toto f- first and then, uh, and then did that one later or something like that. Um, mm. so not anyway, that's a, really a non story. Uh, I'm going the story. My last story is going to be, um, about the, uh, StubHub's top summer tours of 2018. So if you want to know who to go see, this is going to be your list according to StubHub and, uh, um, and ticket sales. So. Um, I am looking forward to that. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. Let me tell you yes. something before we get there. Let me tell you a story. Um, Waiting. When you were, when you were born, uh-huh. um, did you know how you were going to die? Yeah. When I was born. Yeah. Yeah. Like you came into the world. So automatically, of course, you know, you know what the end was going to be like. It's like, okay here you're born this is your end and now live the middle right okay it's your time to be alive so anyway so so, uh you know i think just about all of us can probably say you know how how we may or may not die oh we can Um, okay yeah i I didn't know we could do that I, i would say i would say we have kind of an idea uh, I mean, we don't know how it's going to happen, but we have some kind of idea of how it probably will happen or should happen. Okay. But we're, we, we usually never think about just crazy shit. Right. Right. So, yes, I have a story about death. Oh, okay. But it's like one of these WTF things. Okay. Like, how'd he die? It's like, I'm so yeah. sad this, this guy died, it's... but wait, what? He died how? Yeah, yeah, so... So, what do, you, what do you got for us? Okay. Well, apparently a side effect of taking an escalator is falling off it to your death. Uh-huh. Oh, so someone fell off of an escalator is what you're saying. Yes, not just somebody, but the former guitarist, his name is Josh Martin. The former guitarist of the grindcore band, the popular and... Uh-huh. This is censored. Don't censor. Give it to us. If there's, if there's anyone under the age listening, please. Under the age of what? <laughs> Just under the age? Under the age of whatever age is illegal to uh-huh. listen to. Okay. Band names like Anal Cunt. Okay. So this this guy from Anal Cunt. First of all, we have to stop there for a second because we have to... Uh, I have to share with you some uh, song titles and and maybe listen to just in memory of this guy, um, just a, a bit of one of his songs. I mean, don't you think that's only right? I think, yes. Okay. Uh, okay. To educate our listeners and in his honor. So this is Hitler Was a Sensitive Man by Anil. Okay, if you want some more of that, this is I Lit Your Baby on Fire. (laughs) 
it's a incredible the, wow i'm blown away my the whole wtf level of wtf has just gone way through the roof it, it did yeah yeah so uh other another song i became a counselor so i could tell rape rape victims uh they uh they asked for they asked for it wow this guy uh, you know what? I'm starting to think that falling off an escalator is probably not that unusual for someone like is this, this. Is this karma? <laughs> this is probably, yeah. This is probably karma done nicely. Uh, you know, I'm the, thinking this guy is going to get hit by a bus at 120 miles an hour. Off of the 40 more reasons to hate us, this, uh, there's a song, I just saw the gayest guy on earth. <laughs> oh my god is this a comedy act or is this dude uh, for real i don't know but oh my gosh anyway guy uh, fell off an escalator providence mall uh providence place mall in uh, providence rhode island right uh fell and um unsurprisingly he sustained severe head trauma and died at a nearby hospital yeah, uh, that's a, it's a really sad way to go. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean. That's like, what? Yeah, yeah. If if you're interested in this band at all, you should look up some of their song titles. They are nothing if not offensive <laughs> and, and racist and everything and everything else. There's one that has an N word in it. I'm just going to leave that alone. <laughs> so, Moving on. Yeah. yeah. So for those of you that like being offended, definitely go ahead and check that out. For those of you that find offensive material humorous, go ahead and check that out. There you go. Um, all right. So, so yeah, so I'm going to reveal StubHub's uh, preview of the summer concert uh, that are that are ahead. Uh, th- who who might you think is high on that list of, you know, th- th- we're going to sell a lot of freaking tickets this summer to uh, to their shows. Uh, uh, well, who hasn't come yet? So when when did this start? So, like now? This is so now. I, I think you know that's a good question. I don't know exactly because I the first artist um, I think was here recently. Uh, I probably played AT and T Park. Yeah, I don't and, know too and, many and bands think, coming. There's like the Fleetwood Mac. There's a uh, who's the who's did, the big one? Pink, I think, is coming. Did you did you not see this one? Um, no, oh. I have not seen this. Oh no! I think we did. We swear swear this artist off. There are two artists that shall not be named. Uh-huh. You can replace their names with. She shall not be named. Okay. Or he shall not be named. Yeah. yeah. Well, one she shall not be named. It took the number one slot for uh, top selling acts overall. Interesting. Uh, okay. Well, Ed Sheeran ranked first in most sales per show, and I think his show went on sale today and is sold out. Uh, ah. Like at AT and T Park, uh, with Snow Patrol opening. Um, so yeah. I, I had to politely excuse myself from wanting to go see him. Um, after my wife insisted, mm. you know, for several weeks that we go. He said, no, thanks. Yeah. I'm like, no, Aww. I don't want to be, you know, an ass, but no, 
<laughs> yeah, so the kind of number two acts were Eagles, followed by Harry Styles, Beyonce, Jay-Z, Foo Fighters, Kenny Chesney, in that order. Uh, U2, which was last summer's list leader, was number seven, uh, yeah. trailed by Journey and Def Leppard, number eight. Uh, Radiohead, number nine, and Sam Smith rounding out the top ten. Uh, a lot of nostalgia acts also. Um, mm-hmm. uh who came to is, prominence in the nineties? Queen's Reich on there? Uh, I do not see them. No. Um, uh, there's a there's a good group coming. I, I mean, a, like a two bands that work really well together. God, it's uh, Queen's Reich and it's saying like Kenny Chesney, Radiohead, and Pearl Jam among among those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Scorpions. Uh, yeah. So lots of. Uh, uh, what what else? A couple other notable trends for high performing tours: girl, girl power and farewell tours. As we said, uh, they, uh, she shall not be named. Beyonce, who's co-headlining with Jay Z, Pink, Britney Spears, Shakira, Shania Twain. Uh, farewell tours um, are uh, not a trend specific to this summer, but here's some of those: uh, Paul Simon, um, Ozzy Osbourne, No More Tours tour. Uh, Leonard Skinner, Slayer, and Anita Baker's uh, Goodbye Dates, getting a lot of interest as well. I wonder how many years some of those, you know, farewell tours are going to go on for. Right. I mean, it's going to be a long time, right? So Yeah. It's like, okay, we've been, this concert's been going on for 10 years now. It's still the farewell tour. I know. It's a, it takes a long time, but... Uh, but yeah, so those are some of the big shows that this summer, if you want to get out and see a, a big popular show at a stadium or uh, uh, amphitheater near you, those are some to check out. So Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, I've tried... Uh, I've used StubHub just for selling uh-huh. before. I've never used it for buying anything, but I've, I've looked. I've used it as a resource to see how much... You know, the concert that I'm currently sitting at right. um, was just a few hours before the doors opened, you know? Uh-huh. And some of the prices are just amazing. Like, there are some good deals. What? Like, it's yeah. like 100 bucks for this $400, you know, seat ticket or something. Yeah, like Bottle Rock is a way to get, you know, to get them cheaper before, like right before the event, right? Um, yeah. Get them that way. Um, the Andrew McMahon tickets that Tracy got were like less than $10. Like, per ticket for the Sacramento show, which was insane. I mean, it was sold out mm. too, you know? So yeah, there are, um, I never, I never thought of StubHub as like a, a place to get cheap, t- uh, tickets that so, mm. so much. I always kind of thought they were over all overpriced. And I think some are, yeah, but, some definitely are, but, but you can certainly score some deals. Yeah. It just yeah. takes a lot of, you know, looking and patience and, yeah, for and sure. And the unknown, you know, I mean, you don't really know. You're not guaranteed that you're going to get a good ticket, or maybe there was a good price, but the seat is terrible. You know. Yeah, yeah. So kind of, kind of gamble. Um, so yeah, so you can check that out, uh, StubHub, um, or uh, when they're when the artists are coming around to the bay here. So um, closing out the pod, I, I promised a, a song from Bleachers. We'll, um, we're going to do that. Before we do, I want to just, since we're right at that kind of deadline, uh, go vote. Uh, I know it's not the main election, but uh, I'm really pushing myself to read, you know, the ballot stuff and kind of be somewhat educated on what's out there. You know, uh, definitely recommend voting. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. 
you know, and I think one of the things that helps me, um, you know, get out and vote is just the knowledge that, you know, every single citizen has the right for one vote. You have the right to, you have the right to do it. And if, and the only voice not heard is the voice not spoken. So, yeah. And to think of all the people that are going to vote, um, the opposite of you, (laughs) that makes your vote so much more, you know, uh, meaningful. So definitely go out and, and, and make your voice heard. Yes. Yes. And so next time on the podcast, I believe, uh, we will have the, this is not a hundred, hundred percent confirmed, but it's most likely happening this weekend. Um, yard birds are going to be playing at Ace of Spades in Sacramento. Um, and so most, I think we're going to have them on the podcast. So you might get a new podcast next week. Otherwise we'll see you in probably two weeks or so. when uh, whenever we get another interview after that. So let's talk about bleachers for just a minute before we wrap bleachers. Uh, really one of my favorite bands. Uh, I really like them, uh, led by Jack Antonoff, um, formerly of fun and steel train fame. Uh, and, they played at the Jam Sellers Ballroom, like I said, with Wesley Arms, uh, who opened for them. Really such a fun set. Oh, it was so incredible um, getting to see them live in such an, uh, an intimate venue like that. Because the last times I saw Bleachers, is, well, I saw them last year, but it was a festival show. And so it wasn't a headlining set for them or anything like that. It was a little, a little shorter. And... Uh, um, and Oh man, that reminds me. Gosh, I, I was gonna play a different different um, song, but um, maybe I'll put it up on uh, Concert Pipeline's Facebook page. Jens, uh, they did a cover of um, Depeche Mode's "Just Can't Get Enough." Oh wow! Yeah, uh, nice. And uh, and so so check that out. Um, I also put you know uh, other video up already from um from bleachers and magic giant wesley arms uh so you can check all that out at concertpipeline.com forward slash wait what facebook facebook.com forward slash concert pipeline pod that's right yes uh and on all the other socials twitter instagram periscope uh youtube all the fun stuff uh, at concert pipeline um and so Fun, fun show from Bleachers. We're going to play us out with a, a fun version they did. They played uh, one of their hit songs, Roller Coaster, uh, which the, you'll, you'll get to hear it. They kind of stopped a couple of times in the song, you know, to really dr- drum up the energy. It was a, a fun performance, and you can check the video for that out on uh, on the Facebook page as well. So uh, so for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Jen Sheppel. And that is Steve Jones. We will catch you next time. Here's some bleachers.